Welcome to the Edge Entertainment Roundtable, a post-discussion based around all things entertainment from films, TV, music, literature, theatre and live performance. As always, I'm Theo Smith and I'm the film editor for the Edge magazine. Happy New Year and in this episode we're talking about Pixar's latest feature, Soul, as well as what's coming up in 2020 alongside our user recommendations at the end. As always, I'm joined by our digital culture editor, Harry Jeeves. Hello. Hi, Theo. Hello again. And joining us for this episode, it's a welcome back to Jacob Handu, who wrote our v- review for Soul. Hello. Howdy, howdy. And for their first time appearance, it's a very warm welcome to our fellow writer, Callum Nelms. Hello there. Aloha. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. And so let, let's start with our first item, which is Soul. Pixar's out-of-body adventure dealing with both life and death itself. Directed by Pete Doctor, who has helmed many Pixar classics, including Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out, Soul follows middle school music teacher and jazz pianist Joe Gardner, whom, after falling down a pothole, finds himself in the great before, as his soul is separated from his very own body. Teaming up with a rebellious soul named 22, they both embark on a journey so that Joe can reunite with his human self. So, Harry, using that premise, what do you think of Soul? <laughs> uh, I liked it a lot, yeah. I thought it was really, really sweet. Uh, you, I think you, maybe it was you, Theo, that said um, it's sort of similar to Inside Out, uh, but it sort of dives into slightly deeper territory, which I would echo. But I thought it was really lovely uh, exploration of this character and, uh, yeah, about, about life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, Jake, if you wrote the review for Soul, um, what were your thoughts on the on this? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I I slapped four stars on it. I, I thought it was very original uh, and inventive. And yeah, if uh, if Inside Out was about child psychology, Soul is perhaps more about uh, adult psychology uh, and what it is to be um, an adult and and sort of explores life. And I thought that was a quite mm. a good film, and I found it quite Ooh. touching in the current climate as well. Good description. Yeah, that is a good description about child psychology and um, sort of adult psychology. I think in a way we'll probably touch on this a bit more is that a lot of us, and I think this is one of the things I probably would say isn't maybe one of the things talking points around the film is that is it a kid's film or is it more of an adult film in a way? So, yeah. But um, we need to hear thoughts of Callum now. So what did you think of Soul? Uh, Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's basically an echo chamber. I really, really loved it. Um, I think for some some background detail of my own experience with the film, uh, when the trailers initially released for it, um, I wasn't too excited. I really liked the the live action, not sorry, not the live action, sorry, but the kind of you know set in the reality. And then when it came to the soul stuff, I thought in my mind, okay, it's this whole inside out taking concepts literally kind of thing. And I wasn't too huge a fan of that film. Uh, but, you know, I kept my expectations, you know, open. And when I saw the film, I really, really did love it. And uh, lots to talk about. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about. I mean, I'll, I'll just quickly say that I um, I absolutely loved it as well. I know I know this, this won't be sort of a um, a d- debate around here because we all, I guess we all, we all absolutely really enjoyed it. But um, I think one of the things I want to I say is that, qu- quickly is that I sort of said this because I went to see it at the London Film Festival uh, back in October. So I was lucky enough to go and see it in the cinema before um, lockdown happened again here. And essentially, um, I kind of I find I find at this point with Pete Doctor's specifically Pete Doctor's director for Pixar. He's one. He's the only director in which, like, I think many sort of film film cinephiles and people will kind of go, 
oh, you know, kind of look up a bit and sort of take notes and take interest. And also, he, he's, his work at this point is very similar to the work of Charlie Kaufman, I sort of found, in terms of how they both sort of examined the human condition. Like, if, if Monsters, Inc. is about fear, and Up is about sort of old age and bereavement, and as we all said, Inside Out is about sort of the child psychology and emotions and growing up, then Soul is about life itself and how we sort of define life itself. And I think what they do with the film is not only sort of inventive for Pixar, I think there's definitely moments this film I was like, I've never seen some of the animation specifically, I've never seen some of the Pixar film before. And I think it's very brave as well for a sort of a mainstream kind of movie. And, um, and yes, yeah, I loved it as well. Yeah, I, I think what you said there about brave as well is, is really true. It's almost, I wonder, uh, perhaps something of a good thing that it went on Disney+. Plus. I mean, I'd, I'd much rather have seen this in the cinema. It's gorgeous. It's a real shame that we weren't able to see it on the big screen. But I do mm. think that it's going to fall into more people's laps as a result, because I think families will stick it on um, instead of maybe the the word of mouth thing of families seeing it and their kids maybe not quite getting it and passing that on to other people. And, yeah. you know, I can see that maybe having uh, maybe that potentially working against it if it had got its traditional theatrical release. Mm, yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree with that. Absolutely. Because, well, I mean, to, to be fair, like it is, I think, as you said, sort of the way how they went on to Disney Plus quite quick. I mean, I was a bit, I, I think everyone's, I, think, I don't think people are being surprised it went on Disney Plus. But I think it is, it is sort of a bit of a shame because people are not going to be able to sort yeah. of you know, see it in the cinema and such. But also at the same time, as you sort of said, um, it will make the w- wider accessibility of the film a lot more. And I think that would sort of, hopefully that would, Give it, I don't know, I don't know, sort of give it a bit more, more of a market as well, and hopefully yeah, and it's going to be know, pushed on the platform probably for the next few months because it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's the Pixar film, so I think it'll have some, it'll stay a bit longer perhaps in the yeah. mainstream consciousness. I think we can we can start by answering this question straight away. I think because Jacob said it in his in his review, but I mean I'll just ask this question to you straight away. Do you think this is a kids' film? Hmm. I think. I really dislike that whole thing of, you know, there's a tendency with animation for, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of critics to say, oh, this is a kid's film. And I feel mm. like that really stifles the conversation. You know, it's this kind of barometer of like, you know, is this made for kids, is it made for adults? But I would argue, you know, we should stop using that term because, you know, animation is, mm. you know, in reality, animation, loads of these films present such deep t- subtext, you know, especially Soul. And, you know, I think trying to stifle that under this kind of category of being for kids or being for adults or et cetera, being for like a certain demographic really limits the conversation. Yeah, I think I think the phrase family film is perhaps more apt because you've got to remember that, you know, if, if for this film, this was designed to be watched in, uh, it was going to be released in the cinemas and, you know, 50% of the audience is is going to be parents taking their children to the cinema. So you've got to appeal to both uh, d- demographics there, which I think they've always done with their, you know, sort of inside jokes that parents get. And when you grow up, you you sort of realise all the misjokes. Um, but um, in in this, they really find quite a good balance between having enough humour for children as well as an interesting and often motivational story for adults as well. I think children will come back to this film and find a lot of stuff they originally missed. Yeah, as they grow up as well, I think I can see them mm. sort of look, watching it when they're older and going, oh, wow, you know, all this sort of subtext they didn't quite gleam when I was younger. Yeah, it's quite similar to the film like Up, definitely, because I remember when I saw Up for the first time, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't go to the cinema. I mean, another Pete Doctor film as well. I think 
Yeah, so I saw it might be quite similar. Love what his Pete Doctor's kind of Pixar films do this in a way. But I remember watching up for the first time because I, I I didn't go and see it in the cinema, but I watched them and watching DVD for the first time. And I was kind of, I sort of like I, I understood the emotion of it, but I sort of didn't. I didn't really feel the emotion. Like even like the first that first scene of the married life. Like I was sort of like yeah, I got it, but I didn't feel any sort of emotion towards that at all because I haven't experienced that emotion yet. And I think actually what's brilliant, I think what I think really touched me with Soul a lot, especially, and why I probably think it's probably Pete Doctor's, probably his best film, that may be me say, maybe might be sort of, you know, pushing about already. But I think what one thing I loved about it is that it's it's a film that when when you've sort of been growing up and you've seen all these memories, you've done all these sort of things like university or you've been to mute or you've done like high school or or especially for me, like, for example, it's like someone who does a lot of musician work, stuff like, like you know, being in bands, etc. There's so many moments in this where I really connected and I really felt, really felt like Joe's character in a way. I think that's what makes him a really fascinating sort of character. What do we think of Joe as a character? Do we like him? Yeah, I, I really liked him. And I, I just echo what you said as well, Theo. Um, I really sort of uh, related to him. And, and, and a lot of the um, stuff about being in the zone when you play and stuff really resonated with me because I'm a musician mm. as well. Um, I thought they handled that. You can tell that the people making it are invested in sort of the culture of music and stuff. It was really uh, well explored, all that aspects. And, and Joe's a, a really great protagonist to base in that. You know, he's accepting a job that he doesn't, he's not really enjoying. You know, it's not his dream. But it's sort of it's sort of paying the bills, and that is the reality um, a lot of the time for musicians who who want to get big or are putting a lot on the line to be able to do that for a living. Yeah, I think that scene early on where the the headmaster over at the school says, um, "I would like to offer you the full time job," and she says it like she's happy to give him the full time job, and he's got this look of, "Well, that's not really what I want because it means I won't <laughs> yeah. have enough time to to pursue my you know my aspirations of being a professional musician." I thought that was a really good scene that sort of sold me on his character's psychology early on. Yeah. I think yeah, as I well... Think... Oh, sorry. No, you go ahead, you go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I, I do agree with everybody. Like, I found him a very uh, relatable character. A little, I suppose you could say, two-dimensional. He's kind of like a bit of a, you know, a lot of the film, most of his dialogue is about like, oh, I want to get back to my jazz band. And, you know, that's obviously very relatable and such. Um, but also, you know... There's sequences like the uh, the hairdresser scene, for example, uh, which I think is a very significant one in the film. And he's kind of, as he's leaving the shop, kind of the shopkeeper's like telling him, oh, it's actually great to hear you talk about something other than jazz for once. And that really relates to me because as someone who loves film, I feel like the majority of conversations I have with people is like consumed by that one topic. So I feel like, you know, <laughs> so yeah, I do, I do really admire the, the character and kind of his development throughout the film. That was a really touching moment in the hairdressers as well, when mm. the hairdresser, or, or I think it's I think it's maybe Joe that says, you know, I never knew you had, or 22 in, inside Joe says, um, you know, I never knew you had such an interesting life. And the hairdresser says, well, you, you never asked me. Yeah, um, yeah, that was well. a lovely little sort of insight into his character, you know, and, and, and it, it can be difficult to relate to people in life um, sometimes. So I just thought it was a really mm. sort of uh, elucidating moment, really. Makes it's me feel guilty for just sitting in silence, and I get my hair cut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. Point to, uh, oh yeah, absolutely. 
It's interesting to consider there because I found um, I found specifically. I mean, talking a bit about sort of a bit about um, the music as well, stuff like jazz, especially like I, somebody who does who who has done a lot of jazz and such. And funny enough, the second time I saw this film at, at home, um, I watched it with both my brothers, and they and they're also musicians as well. And I think one of the things that I really appreciated about Soul a lot was the was was the attention to detail, especially with with the instruments, for example. Oh, I know definitely. this is a very I know it's a very specific thing, but it's just. For just for example, when you see the um, when you see uh, when she when he goes into um, the was it the um, the club the jazz club and she sees her playing he sees her playing the saxophone, and you see like her playing all like the fingering on it and the fingering is is accurate and also when um the little I've got name for the little kid who plays trombone but when she plays the trombone I asked my brother like are those the correct positions she, and he and he went yeah they're the correct positions and so it's just it's that detail that yeah. really. Is so appreciate. I really sort of appreciate because it feels like, unlike a film like Whiplash, which I don't, which I'll be honest, is more of a sports movie than a film about jazz. This is a film that understands jazz in a way, and I really, I definitely appreciate that. I really agree. It's a real pet peeve of mine when um, instruments aren't lined up in films, and I know it's not going to bother everyone, but it's just that. Mm. Li- it's just a little thing that. I'll always look for, or or always sort of have in the back of my head when I see a character playing an instrument. You brought up Whiplash; it's a perfect example. Um, I'm a drummer, and there's uh, none pretty much. I think there's maybe the odd one, like the opening scene and stuff. But there's loads of scenes where the drums aren't even you know near to what's playing, and it can be really frustrating because you're being treated to this sort of uh, amazing uh, playing that you that you're hearing, and, and when there's a disconnect visually. Um, it sort of takes yeah. that that bliss away. Um, and so when Joe sat playing the piano, um, and yeah, and the notes are accurate. It's it's lovely to see. And and you were saying about attention to detail as well. I really liked. There's just there's a couple like sort of offshoot lines that they just say that just really fleshed out the creator's understanding of what they're talking about. Like when mm-hmm. they're when Joe's dad is taking him into the club um, when Joe's a kid. Um, there's just one line where the, the kid's like, "I don't want to go," and and the dad says, "It's black improvisational music. It's really important." Like let's do it and then they don't sort of mention that again which i just liked as this little little recognition of the culture of jazz you know the film didn't have to explore that because that's not really the, the point of the film um but it's that little attention to detail that you can mm. see i think in a lot of corners of, of soul which is really appreciate yeah i yeah. thought the music was really uh of note in this film because it starts with um when you get like the disney logo of the castle the the music that disney score for that shot is is played oh, yeah. out with jazz musician, jazz music, yeah. which I thought was it's quite good. It's a school good. band playing like a rubbish version yeah. of the Disney sort of yeah. intro. And then, um, <laughs> and then the first line, the first line of the film that comes up when the, you know, the Pixar lamp is smashing down the eye, it just says, um, someone says, let's try something else. Joe says, let's try something else. And I thought that was quite a good way to start the film. And it's just, it, this is going to be a new type of film. Definitely, there's no other score um, like the one in this one in any other Pixar film, I agree, no Michael Giacchino or um, <laughs> any or Randy Newman. This is a, a very different score, and I thought the music was really something special in this one. Yeah, mm. definitely. Uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus's Ross music is really great as well. You know, very Brilliant, unique choice of this film. And we could talk can... about the the soul world a bit. Then we can sort of sorry, sorry, Cam, you were going to say something. Sorry, apologies. yeah, yeah, no, just like the the combination of that with the jazz, which obviously as we've talked about is you know phenomenally done and you know i think also going back to the uh the point of the jazz also i think the film does a, a solid job at you know representation because this is you know the first pixar film you know as a african-american as its protagonist mm. yeah def- definitely 
and um i mean i, I think I, I do think as well what's interesting is that if you um if you see a lot of um some of the behind the scenes stuff especially because i think also as well but also as well because i know pete doctor is sort of kind of the main director uh ken bow ken powers uh he's the, who's the co-director so he is the first african-american to direct a pixar film which as well we need to sort of as well consider and, and appreciate again in a way i think and, yeah. I, and especially well like going back to, back to quickly before we talk about um, the soul world going back to quickly that barbershop scene because one of the things kent power says in what i thought was quite interesting in what in um in the inside pixar documentary uh, which is out disney plus now um there's this bit where he says you know like i wanted i want to have a bit where we talk about where we kind of show the african-american community and i and one of the key things in these sort of these in these communities is the barbershop it's like a really key thing because it's like the place that has conversations, people can speak. Like when you sit in the chair, that is like your spotlight. That is your moment. You're you're the storyteller then. And it sort of it sort of says, you know, because I think when um when she when um Joe's all twenty two sitting in the chair with um with with the bar behind him and the barber says, you know, like I love this job because I get to hear so many stories, so many different um different opinions about about certain aspects. And I and I love it. And and so I think just again, just again, just that attention to detail, just putting that into the film, I think is, is really, is, makes it a very special moment in the film, definitely. How long is the documentary on Disney Plus? Uh, it's only like 10 minutes, it is. Oh, but okay. but it's because oh. they like, because they like the different shorts based on like sort of different characters in, um, mm. in, in, mm. in, in the Pixar company. And one of, and one of them was basically Ken Powers talking about like the influence of that scene at the barbershop and like why he, why he sort of wrote that. And it was, it was quite funny. It was this bit at the start where he, um, he emails Pete doctor and Pete, Do- he emails Pete doctor and he says, you know, I really want to have a scene at the barbershop because it's really important to me. It's really special. And Pete doctor went, why don't you just go and do it? I'll have to watch it. It sounds really interesting. I'd like to see a bit more of an insight into that really. Yeah. Um, but moving on to because we talked a bit about Atticus Trainers, Resin Atticus Ross's world. We, let's talk a bit about the soul world because there's mm. we've, we've got the um, the other side, which is we've got the real world, and then we have the soul world. Which I have to admit, this is probably I would say some of the most inventive animation Pixar has done. I'm not. Right. I'm, I know we can sort of say like. I know we can sort of look at you know the wide aspect of animation itself because I know there's there's things we can pick out and stuff. But in terms of a Pixar mainstream film, like that bit when when he falls down in, into the uh, into the great beyond, and all, and, you, and it's like it becomes this incredibly kind of trippy moment where like he sort of starts you know where he starts kind of was it um his own self starts like splitting into three, and it's really it's like really really psychedelic. I felt and something I, I was like you know wow like this is not what I expect this film to be. Even the um the great beyond that you know that that stairway to the giant black hole it was like even on my small telly at home it just reminded me of Interstellar's wormhole like it's just this enormous thing that just really needed to be seen on on a cinema uh, screen and yeah, um, yeah. and then again it that is, journey yeah. into the um the great before or the U seminar was was also pretty stunning to look at kind of had like a into the Spider Verse vibe to some of it, I thought. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that shot of him on the stairwell going with the great beyond. I, I sat there in my lounge going, oh, God, I wish I could see this yeah. in the cinema. Like, it yeah, it so looked amazing. Phenomenal. It looked amazing here. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you and your enormous TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Um, yeah, because obviously Disney Plus had it in like, you know, HDR and stuff. So it looked phenomenal. You know, the, the entire room Man. was like blacked out. So I felt like I was really there. And um, there's, you know, also, it, there's also a shot at the end of the film of. Um, 
it just like pans out to like the Milky Way or the solar system. It's just this enormous shot, and I just just kind of stunned oh, me really. Of its, yeah, like beauty. I was just. Is like, that the piano? Yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. We could talk a bit. We can talk about that moment later. later. We can talk about the moment. We can talk about that bit later on. But um, quickly, quickly back to the Soul World as well. I thought, like, I think it's some of. I think what's really interesting with how sort of inventive animation is because I think the thing is, death, the afterlife is a very abstract concept in a way. And I think just how how they do. And I think what's interesting as well, if you look at how they make it, the one thing they keep asking is, you know, what's this? What's this world going to sound like? And sort of what's the music going to be like? And I think the sound design of this film, especially because because I have I went I did go and see it in the cinema. And I think the sound design for this film is is just is phenomenal because it's mm-hmm. sort of there's this it, like it, it, it's it's like even that bit that opening bit just you can like it feels like every corner of the room is like it's like a different part of 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 the world and it feels very it sort of cre- it sort of creates this very sort of quite tr- quite trippy feel to the film in a way and it's quite clever because it's sort of it's saying you know that you know this is not like the afterlife is not sort of this concept that we sort of basically know it's it's an abstract concept and the, and the animation is rightfully abstract especially with mm. the counselors as well which the, the, that kind of wide sculpture yeah yeah their design's really interesting because i don't think that they're like particularly appealing to look at but they're they're they are well designed though still like uh, and i really liked that and i think that's reflected in the music too when they're in sort of the u seminar that sort of plucky plucky electronic thing yeah that that, that um uh, Reson and ross are doing um where it, it is sort of warm and inviting and, and encouraging i guess is a good word um but it also feels quite alien and i, and I liked that terry and jerry and <laughs> whatever um <laughs> sort, sort of looked really odd mm, very creatively animated yeah yeah, yeah is, it was really uh, creative it was it was a bit more daring than i i could see other animation studios doing i think yeah what's what's interesting that bit is that because i think because i did I, I, I watched them again in the inside pixar documentary one what they they speak to the person who designed the 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 the, the, the soul counselors and in a way and she and she said that um that she was sort of inspired by kind of wire sculpting and she never did it before ever in her life like she said this, this is the first for me and you see sort of like the, the original wire sculptures and they're just and they're they're, they're for not they're just incredible pieces of art in a way like they're, just, they're sort of they're sort of alien they just sort of look awkward and they but but like i said like it's again it's that abstractness because then they, they don't look humans they look real as well at the same time yeah they're also served um jerry uh, jerry and terry have also got good you know voice casting I oh yeah loved richard Ayoade was just so brilliantly dry and um and rachel house who people might be familiar with from taika waititi films like hunt for the wilder people and uh, (laughs) thor ragnarok she just that her kiwi voice just she can say anything or make me laugh i love it oh yeah and uh, her role was um as terry was was really fun and there's a theme that pixar done recently where um because terry's just you know someone doing their job that um this is alongside inside out and perhaps toy story for another film without a villain which i thought was quite good and how you can still have drama without mm. the need for an antagonist yeah mm, that, that's, yeah that's interesting. agreed yeah it, it's refreshing to not have just a person who is bad and must be defeated and they're not a good person like it, mm. you know we were talking about pixar films maybe being a little more mature now especially soul um and that's a much more mature reflection um of reality is that there is a lot of gray area around sort of uh, you know the yeah. cliche of the antagonist protagonist thing 
I do think I do like 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 Jacob said. I do agree. The voice cast of this film is is terrific. I mean, I do. I, I as someone who's a big fan of both Richard Wedding and Rachel House, like I just I love sort of how the film because the thing is like their kind their humor is very like I said it's very deadpan and I think the film brilliantly plays into that. I mean, especially like the whole sort of where. Um, where where Jerry where Jerry where Jerry says no ah oh, you must be going on to the to the great beyond then he just reveals it and he's like no don't go away from there so you know yeah. it's 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 just those little moments which make it sort of especially when I when I did when I saw it in the cinema it got a lot of laughter because people sort of kind of you know kind of the post the irony of the situation but yeah how early did you see it huh how early did you see it I saw it in October. So the oh, film okay. came out in December. So I saw, so yeah. I saw it quite a while before everyone else. It was, it was funny enough because when they, um, yeah, but funny enough when when they, um, when was it? When on Christmas Day when they released Soul? Because at, at the start of the day, I was probably about five hundred people in Letterbox who've seen the film. By the end of the day, it was about fifty fifty thousand people have seen it by, wow. by in this space of a day. So it was like, so the number of people have increased a lot since since then but it was very because i remember watching it and i was thinking I, was, I do generally think it was a very um special film in a way but but, but yeah but yeah I, 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 yeah but talking a bit more about soul world um what do we think of um what do you think of 22 as a character like um, what do you think of her can i just sorry can i just quickly go back to the soul yeah. world discussion quickly um so obviously as i said before you know i was very kind of cautious about how they would do that whole soul world thing you know judging by the trailers because all of the stuff that was taking place in reality you know is so beautifully animated and so like rich and vibrant and detailed etc um but you know obviously sitting down to watch the film uh you know i do agree that it was all creatively handled uh, but I, I, also, I also am very glad that they, you know, kind of decide not to stay in that world for too long. Because I think, you know, if they spent too much in the soul world, it'd kind of detract from, you know, moving the story along and, you know, kind of utilizing the technology they have to the greatest advantage, you know, which is all that detail and kind of the real world and all of the, mm. the little details there. Um, so I did very much appreciate that they didn't linger on it too much, especially because obviously, you know, it's it's basically like literalizing you know these concepts of you know death and like you know getting personalities and such and i think you know if they kind of stayed in that world for a bit too long it would kind of drag down the film a little bit for me so yeah, yeah you'd start writing yourself holes pretty quickly definitely yeah that's an interesting point to make but i think i thought what i would, what I would say is what i would say as well um is that i, I do i do agree that it's sort of it is very I, th- I do. I do think it is. It was important they had to sort of move the story on a bit. But I find that in the same way Inside Out did, like it's soul. Soul. Soul was very similar. I found like especially the, the, that world, that sort of the 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 great beyond and the great before was very much quite similar to Inside Out. In which like especially when when they go into that hall of was it that hall of like traits? I've sort of got the name of the hall, of, but it, but especially it's sort of like how they build the personalities. It was quite similar to called like Inside Out with use like like the Dream Factory and like like the Memory Islands or the or the personality islands as well it was quite there was quite similar sort of um symbolism that i found um with 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 how they sort of constructed the world and i think as, as well as for a story for storytelling as well i think that's it was very good storytelling because you have you have to make sure that not only that you know that kids understand it or, or the family understands it that you know we have to make sure that that we all understand that we get what's going on here and i think they yeah. do that very well especially in the soul world i think another important aspect of the soul world is um you know 
kind of when they meet Moonwind as well. Obviously, who I did not know when watching the film, but he's uh, voiced by Graham Norton. Oh, yeah. And yeah. completely unrecognizable, but a great character. And obviously, there's that whole thing of, you know, where people kind of, you know, they become so obsessed and they turn into these, like, you know, monsters of, like, anxiety and just, like, you know, so creative. Oh, yes. Such a beautiful thing. And obviously, we'll return to that kind of element if we discuss the ending, which very yeah. significant. I, I was, I would say quickly discuss, I mean, that, that bit at the end of the film, so I've, I'll probably, we can sort of be a bit around, around the structure of it, but especially that end of the film when, when, when you see uh, 22 in that moment of like, sort of, of in her own kind of bubble, it was, I put, it probably was the closest sort of thing, to something like anxiety or um, depression that I've seen in, in a film. It, re- it I found that very emotional, just the whole sort of, where it says, you know, like, you know, you can't do this, you have no thing, you don't, it was very, like, it sort of, it was so brilliantly well conveyed, I think, mm. that, that was, that, that, again, it was, it's all these sort of, it's these things that we all sort of connect with as well, especially sort of the emotions that Pixar do so well, and I think it's, that, that, that ending there was, it was another really good example. Yeah, and what that, Jacob yeah. said about this sort of appealing to quite a wide range of um, ages, I think that depiction um, of that sort of side of, of, uh, I get yeah, like you're saying, anxiety, depression, um, is gonna work for kids as well as adults. I think that yeah. will resonate in different ways, but with sort of equal uh, power. Yeah, yeah, it reminded me a lot of like you know, kind of BoJack Horseman, which is a great show, obviously, and that's very kind of adult oriented. And mm. also, Howl's Moving Castle. Uh, you know, the kind of the way that Howl kind of you know he has these kind of you know very very similar like visually and kind of in that sort of concept, which I found quite interesting. Well, that's that's interesting to make with um, Studio Ghibli comparing that to Pixar. But, um, but yeah, but um, one of thing one of things we want to talk about as well is sort of, and of course said quick, but the character twenty two as well played played by, played by Tina Fey in in this. Like what like what what do we think of that as a, as a character? Funny enough, uh, like, do, do you enjoy that? I I think she's probably one of my favorite Pixar characters actually. Oh, uh, I I really love Tina Fey. Um, so obviously you know she voiced <laughs> Roxanne Ritchie in Mega Mind, which is a great film. Uh, and so this is kind of her. This is kind of her. Like, what is it? This is the first animated she's animated film she's been in since then. Uh, and she puts in a really good vocal performance. And I just related to that character so much of kind of you know her struggles to kind of you know find their purpose and all the all the comedy that comes with it about her previous mentors being like these very high up kind oh, of yeah. people. You know, very. Um, but I, you know, at the end of the film, yeah, I was kind of really rooting for her because, like, you know, I would argue in a way the film is kind of it's more about her story in a way, uh, like, and you know, mm. obviously if it, it affects Joe as well and his perception of the world. Um, I, I, also... I didn't like Twenty Two as much as Callum did. I don't think I just felt mm. she wasn't that funny. I did not find her funny. For the best jokes in the film. I mean, I really there's a really great one with um, Carl Jung and Copernicus when he says yeah. the revolver yeah. you, but that's that's not her saying it. Um, there's another <laughs> great another side note. It's another great joke where you see the the soul of that cat just being um, meowing as it heads towards the great beyond. I thought it was a really good little joke. Mm. Um, yeah. But I didn't. I just didn't engage with 22, and I don't know if that's because we don't really see her as herself because she's in. Um, I was about to say Jamie Foxx's body. She's in Joe's body uh, for most of the film. So there's that kind of separation. And I felt like those two, as a Pixar duo, just 
aren't on par with you know the Marlins and Dories or um, you know Woody and Buzzes. I just didn't find it as entertaining. I thought you know in terms of character they were fascinating, but as a watchable yeah. duo they didn't quite mesh as well. Um, I f- and I I don't know why. I think it might have been to that the extent of how long that body swap sequence lasts for because I thought that really dragged. Yeah, actually, I would agree with that point. Uh, like, I do, I like, nevertheless, I still really like the character, but I do agree there's kind of, you know, that whole body swap thing kind of undermines it a little. And I, I, you know, as soon as they were kind of heading towards that direction, which thankfully the, you know, marketing for the film kind of avoided giving that away. But as soon as I, it was kind of going in that direction, it was kind of like, okay, here's the kind of element that the kids will like a bit more and there's a you know that's a lot what i felt a lot especially i think i think that's why i found i do mean, i think i still really enjoyed 22 as a character a lot i still enjoyed it but i think the thing is because it felt like the joe joe is sort of a character for adults because i think we all relate to joe's sort of struggles and and how like sort of him being kind of like a drifter with jobs such but then 22 it feels like it's it's kind of like the character for the kids in a way because it's yeah, sort of, yeah. it, it, it's, it's that classic kind of pixar archetype it's quite like 22 kind of appears in cinema some of some of like like um what jacob was saying people like dory or uh buzz buzz or um, or even someone like Russell as well from from up like he he ha- she has that similar sort of kind of you know comedic a comedic character is there for kind of the comedy, but I think what's 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 brilliant though, and I think this is what I think I liked. I did like Twenty Two a bit more. Jacob did, is that she she doesn't stay on as that comedic little sort of funny little character. She she becomes her own thing, and and the film, like like I said, I think the film brilliantly does it. It, it sort of it 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 is a bit it is about her, but it's sort of the film uh, as sort of in the body of um, Joe she learns sort of the human condition and she learns like what how great it is to be human and i found and i think that's where the themes of sort of kind of you know life itself and what it what it means to live your life i think really come through with um 22 in joe's character i think that's where yeah. a lot of the films very much resonates with me definitely yeah going back to jacob's way pre uh, earlier uh, comment about kind of the film as kind of adult psychology i would say that you know jamie fox's character would be that whereas 22 is kind of that you know child psychology so there's that nice dichotomy there of like you know adult and child because obviously 22 she has that very like adolescent kind of rebellious attitude and it's that kind of whole concept or idea of you know putting teenagers you know adolescent kind of rebellious teenagers like putting them into the real world and like doing real work and then they kind of realize oh actually there's you know more to life than just you know so i think mm. that's quite a nice interesting dichotomy there yeah there that's was a good point on them go ahead no i was just i i like callum's point about the dichotomy between those two characters it's nice to what well, I, I would echo your uh point about the they're they're, they're less engaging to watch duo than some other ones but i'm not sure that the yeah. film needed a really uh mascotable duo mm. or anything i think that the development in accordance with each other that those two characters uh go through that the film explores with them um, is still resonant and and does still work even if i do th- even if i do think the pacing is a little odd in this film in general especially there like you spend x amount of time in the real world and then you're in the soul world for a bit and i thought right okay so this is where the film is and then yeah that's life the- yeah and then they do the body swap thing with the cat and i was like uh, which was fine it's it did work for me it was a bit it's that thing Pixar have done this a couple of times now where it's like 
a really resonant story, but they they feel the need to throw in some weird sort of slapstick gimmick. Yeah, um, yeah. alongside the plot. Finding Dory when they start driving the lorry, it's just like they're proving a point, but it just feels too Disney, really, I suppose, not Pixar. Yeah, Mm, I I mean, to be fair, it it would probably have to cater a bit towards the, the Disney, Disney you know, marketing thing than sort of the Pixar. Because this film, I, 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 one thing I found, especially with the body shot, because I think the thing is, when, when I first saw this film, I didn't really know a lot about it. I only saw like probably the first teaser trailer and maybe a bit of the first trailer. And that was it. Because I was like, I just don't want anything else. So I didn't, I didn't really know. Half... I didn't see anything at all. I went yeah. completely blind. Yeah. So I did, yeah. But, but, but when they did that bit of the boys with the cat, I was a bit like, Oh, it's going to be that kind of Pixar film where it was going to be. Especially, it felt like it's going to be kind of this build road movie where we all get, we all kind of go on this long adventure back to, you know, back to this sort of place. It's quite. It was in a similar way as Inside Out was like Inside Out had, you know, the both sadness and joy was shot up in shot out of the the command center, and then the whole rest of the film is basically them getting back to the command center. So I thought, oh, I thought, oh, the film's going to be sort of, it's going to be kind of like this. But I actually felt it it didn't in a way, and I think and I think that's because I think that's down to the ending. Definitely, I think the ending really pays it off a lot. But I also felt that I I don't know. I think one of the things I found is that I think when Joe's in the cat body, Joe's not that interesting of a character. I, I just he's not he's sort of, he he becomes slightly sidelined a bit he's he's kind of like because because what happens that yeah he becomes a bit passive in a way although he sort of portrays it but i mean especially that i do think there's a, there's a there's that brilliant moment where you see the cat on the um on the shoulders of joe and then 20 and she says okay like this we got to say to to my mum and then the camera brilliantly sort of goes into the real world where we hear joe or 22 speaking to their mum but it yeah, was a, a very great moment but it's a very but it's a very weird moment at the same time because suddenly it's it's like as though because when i watched it i felt i was like because at the moment you had to feel a sense of emotion but i was like how a second did joe earn this moment because joe's in a cat like i'd rather have this moment done if joe was in the um in uh in his actual bodily form yeah so I, I, I don't know, I don't know. that though by yeah. animating it like joe is talking about it and I, I i think i disagree actually with with joe and the cat i even though he doesn't have as much direct agency i still think his character is doing a lot and because joe's body is sort of still there you, you can sort of fill in the blanks with yeah um seeing him as as the character at least i found um and i, I didn't find him too kind of sidelined to be honest because like you're saying his interaction with his mother with the barber i think his life interplays with what 22 wants and i think that they're sort of given a reasonable amount of kind of equal footing even if it's not always sort of telegraphed like that Mm. Mm, yeah i've i think as i think as well as you sort of you sort of point out there because i I do i i find i do find that sort of joe's I mean, I mean, the thing is that it's a, it's an interesting sort of character choice in a way, but I think luck. I think like like I said, thankfully the film doesn't sort of. It's not as well like Joe goes back into his body and then the film just ends. I like the fact there's a, there's that yeah. we have we have that we have the ending, which I think what I think which I I probably say is probably one of the first time I saw it, I didn't get it. I I didn't really get the the ending. I sort of was like, you know, I know something really most about to happen, but it's the second time where it really got me, and I and I was really welling up when when he was sort of you know he's playing the piano. And a beautiful, I think I don't know who did. I don't know if John Batista did, it, but I think it was a bit of both. Both John Batista and Trent Reznor did it at this moment. But it's the piano, and it's and suddenly we see the world, and it, and it's that moment where it's as though we feel, we we feel we feel as though you know the film is not about Joe. It's about 
us it's about life it's about you know we need to sort of you know we need to sort of touch a lot of nature we need to sort of appreciate every moment we have in our life and i think that is a very very powerful powerful sort of kind of emotion or red or thing to say especially yeah, yeah. that raises oh sorry harry i was just going to say that I, I i would echo that and, and i but i also really appreciated that it was a little bit ambiguous like you've like you've sort of laid out there by saying you didn't really get it on the first time you you can kind of bring to that ending sequence um what you want it doesn't shove it mm. down your throat like i think would be the temptation if you were advertising this um towards kids i think which is would be the interest of um like someone like illumination if, if they did this you know it would be a much more cheesy one note <laughs> kind of message illumination <laughs> they handle it nice and appropriately and i and i sort of watched that scene and sort of let it wash over me um and it's it's yeah i don't know it's, it's emotional as well as thematic which i, I really enjoyed mm. I, I thought mm. it was a really mature piece of storytelling yeah i think that dialogue yeah, as well about the uh the, the um the story of the fish and he swims up to the older fish and says oh i'm trying to find the ocean and the, the other fish says the ocean you're in the and the other fish says no i'm in the water i thought that was just a really brilliantly efficient piece of dialogue that sort of you mm. can take that how you want but you know you sort of just appreciate what you have now rather than keep wanting something because as soon as you get what you want you sort of you know like joe after that performance he's had you know he's got his dream but now he's like well what next and mm. um you just got to stop and appreciate and i think that the visual of those falling helicopter leaves which i've always loved as oh a kid, yeah I just thought it was just so simple because it's um, a really beautiful motion that they do when they fall and the way it lands in his palm just really solidifies this, you know, accepting life for what it is at the moment. Yeah, and that becomes like a big motif and it's like, you know, it's the item that Joe gives to 22 at the very end to kind of, you know, help her out once she goes into her kind of, you know, depressive state. Yeah, it's it. I feel like I feel like the, mm. that helicopter leaf is like the mascot for this film because I'm going to think of Soul if I see those again. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, f the very first trailer had it right at the end, and that was just the moment where I was like, "That is like so beautiful," and you know. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 glad I didn't see the trailer then because because generally I think that moment I I tell you especially that moment where she sort of, where she where we see her sitting down. We see it's like twenty two slash Joe. I have to keep saying that twenty two slash Joe sitting down on the um on the on that doorway step, and yeah, he said the helicopter sort of falls down on her, and it's like it's like I said, it's 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 quite similar. I don't want to be that kind of make a sort of tangential link, but it's quite similar to to like sort of something like the work of Nick Rogue, in which kind of how he uses how he uses sort of his um his using like called visual motifs and how sort of. At first, you see them, and you sort of they don't really mean anything. But the the way that they recur, they come back again and again, and it's sort of it then builds up to be something. Actually, you know, this this one moment actually sort is like a ripple to some to something else. And I think definitely you see that when when he when she um no was it when Joe gives the um the leaf to twenty two in the Soul World at the end of the film. Definitely. One thing I would um say now because I think we're probably probably sort of wrapping up this conversation a bit. Where something was um the last question I'll probably ask is where would you um put this in the Pixar canon at the moment? I know again this is maybe some bit too early again to say, but where do you think this would go? Do you think this would go somewhere right up at the top or somewhere I in the middle? I think not overly top, but I it's I mean it's a hell of a lot better than like the good dinosaur and stuff like that. So it's it's pretty firmly in the middle. I'm not sure. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Charles T's got Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah, back off. Tier one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> as you, as you wish, Master Mater. 
<laughs> awful. That's going to exist on the internet forever, Theo. How do you oh, feel about that? I just remember the trailer. I just remember, what is it, the, tra- the trailer for Cars 2 and the bit, and, the, and you just see, what is it, the, um, the cars with legs. Tomator, average intelligence. I would put Soul between about, I don't know, like 10 and 15. I don't think it's, um, I, I've seen it uh, one and a half times now. Um, and uh, I just, I feel like, you know, I've got to give it more time before I compare it to the Toy Stories and, and Nemo's and Incredibles of the world. But um you know, it's got the originality points and it's got a great score and animation style. So, you know, I think it sits quite comfortably along with things like Brave um, and uh, Toy Story 4. Yeah, I'm fairly in agreement, although I think I like it more than Brave and Toy Story 4. It's probably what it's it's up there with my favourite Pixar scores, oh. definitely, the music. Yeah. I think it's in fact, like, a lot of Pixar scores recently have been just Giacchino after Giacchino. So I think to have a sort of a switch up from that, is uh, yeah, it's it really shows unique, in this I film definitely. I, I would I, I I don't know. I think I put up a bit higher. I'd probably say it's in my it's in my top five because I know I know people say like because like I'm not I I'm not the biggest fan of stuff like I don't know. I loved I really like The Incredibles, but I don't have that sort of that connection to Incredibles as I had because I, I I saw that one's about fifteen when I saw the first saw The Incredibles. So I've I've sort of you know sort of a lot of the films that everyone loves. I mean for me the ones that I love is stuff like Finding Nemo and Toy Story. And um, specifically, specifically, me, Toy Story Three is yeah, probably same, my yeah. favorite Pixar film. So, 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 Def. So, I would probably put it up in about the top five, top six. I'd probably say, I'd probably say, it's, I'd probably say it's definitely Pete Doctor's best film. I, I would say. Oh, I like Up too much. Same. Same. No, this, but this, but this, but this is the thing. I said it. I said it at the start when I first saw Up. I just never, I didn't get the emotional connection of that film. Again, I, I, and I, I feel nervous about going to see it again, about watching it again, because suddenly I will suddenly completely change my mind and go, oh, here's a... So, so you know, so definitely, yeah. But um, I, but for this film, I, I remember, I think watching it, it's it's a lot, it's it's doing something a lot more challenging Inside Out, I felt, although much, as much as I love Inside Out. Um and it's definitely doing, and it's definitely sort of, it's it's a much more sort of personal story, story as well. So that's why I'll probably put it about, probably about number five, number six, I'd say, in the Pixar. Where canon. would you put it, Callum? <laughs> um, so I think Soul is a very interesting film because, like, once you put it in the context of kind of the other Pixar films, I would argue that thematically and even aesthetically, it's kind of, it feels very much like a spiritual successor, pun intended, uh, to kind of Ratatouille and Inside Out and Coco. Ratatouille? Kind of, you know, yeah, definitely. Like, there's a whole, you know, there's the whole themes of kind of, you know, dreams and the aesthetics, you know, like very similar to when Remy is kind of tasting food and he himself is kind of in that very what, similar when, kind when of. When he tries so... that pizza for the first time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes, <laughs> very like similar. In the restaurant. <laughs> like, that's yeah. what I mean about it being very thematically and aesthetic- okay. aesthetically similar. Uh, and then obviously Coco is very much about death and kind of this one is more about life rather than death. Like oh, death is obviously a big thing. Um, I, I would definitely class it highly up there, uh, probably in the top 10 for sure. Um, I wouldn't, I, I would say it's, it's, it's a lot more daring than a lot of other Pixar films. It feels more like a, an independent film from Pixar rather than kind of like a, you know, kind of as part of their studio, which which is what I really admire. You know, that kind of originality and kind of trying to step out of their comfort zone a little bit. I think it's down to Pete Doctor's director, though, because Pete Doctor's always done film. That's that's the thing I've noticed as well. All of Pete Doctor's 
films for Pixar have been like you said, very like an independent kind of studio, like Inside Out. You would imagine trying to pitch Inside Out to Disney executives. You know, they'll be like, "What? Like, what? What? On earth? What do you mean about this?" But but they say, "No, no, we'll make this work," and yeah. they do. They make they make it work. You know. Yeah. So yeah, Up is definitely still my favorite Pete Doctor film. I mean, that's like top five Pixar for me. Uh, but Soul is most certainly a, a very very close second. I'd probably put it somewhere in between kind of Coco and Finding Nemo. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And in, in, interesting thing. And sort of um, just probably something quite nice. Moving on. Um, just before we came on, just before we came on, um, started recording. We talked about some of Pixar's uh, newer, newer releases. <laughs> and um, so, what, what what do we think about the future of Pixar? So, where do they go from? I mean, we know what the next two films are, but um, but yeah. <laughs> Mm. Um, I think the the most recently up, recently upcoming one is going to be uh, Raya and the Last Dragon, isn't it? Well, that, well that's not that's a Pixar good, film. Yeah. That's a oh, Disney it's animation. Disney, is it? Yeah, yeah, oh, that's, okay. that's a Disney animation one. That is, oh, and, so, and that's and that's also going to be available for about twenty quid on Disney Plus as well. Um, <sighs> so, yeah, <laughs> that that is one I think I will buy because I think it looks really good. Twenty uh, quid. I don't. Yeah, it's not a remake. It, like it's an original story. It looks really uh, like it's oh, putting yeah, culture on screen. That. Finally, I, I I wouldn't feel so bad about buying that one. I do think that the price they're charging on Disney Plus might be a little much. Um, yeah. But it was more just... offensive when it was Mulan. To be honest. Yeah, like Sky Store sometimes do. If you like buy a film digital, they if they send you like a disc copy as well, I'd feel like it'd be a bit more worthwhile of my money. Yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, it, it's basically the same price as you'd pay for like a Blu-ray. So you can either buy, you know, a disc if they, you know, actually release it uh, on disc, well, or, you, quid, or you could, or you could wait kind of a couple of, you know, months like Mulan, just wait for that to be free on Disney Plus. Oh Jesus! Yeah, <laughs> I'm a bit. I don't really like buying things digitally because it doesn't feel very permanent. I'm not sure on a shelf. That's kind of my dilemma. It's not so much the the price. I don't mind uh, sort of supporting you know creative endeavors but um it's the fact that it it's not on the shelf and it's uh, you know i don't know what the lifespan of these services are you know mm. it's, it's that whole that whole debate really oh yeah physical yeah. media forever yeah but that's a yeah de- 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 definitely that's that's another that's another debate entirely but i mean specific some i think the, the next two films they're doing is a film i think they announced this they're doing luca which has already been announced and it looks uh i mean they they only they didn't show the trailer they showed clips from it in on their on their um their disney investors day extravaganza which i watched all three hours of and frankly i'm not gonna get that time back ever but essentially um <laughs> that film is sort of about um I mean, it's quite interesting because it's sort of it's like it's kind of like about you know sort of these two these two kids have like build a build like a really nice friendship. It's very much a lot of people laughed on Twitter. It's called "Call Me by Your Name," but with that with Pixar, so which I understand the comparison for that. But I yeah, Sea Dragon in it, right? What? No, oh, okay. I didn't all, know that. Yeah, it says here all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. They are sea monsters from another world, just below oh. the water's surface. Uh, he sh- Luca shares these adventures with new- his newfound best friend. There we go. That sounds that's, fun. That's, that's the end. Sounds of the very thing, How yeah. to Train Your Dragon esque. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. And then and then after that we have um, we have Turning Red, which I, which I told you all beforehand. You all were not you didn't get <laughs> you, but um, that's I interesting. I'm looking forward to it most because it's the fact because it's directed I'll by see it. I'll see it. But it's directed by Gourmet Shi, who did Bao. And I actually interested, I watched Bao yesterday, and I absolutely loved that short, which was, which was um, I think that was linked to... a really to, good one. 
was it was linked to the Incredibles two. It played before Incredibles two. It did, and so I, I'm interested to see what she does with with it because it looks because you know it's it's got a weird thing about you know a kid, like a little girl who has sort of you know pubes, kind of like going through puberty or going through you know like teen teen years, and then when she sort of flusters or turns red, she becomes a giant red panda, which. Uh, which is which will be an interesting sort of script of how they're going to explain how she does that, but you know, <laughs> it's definitely a setup. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. kind of sounds like Pixar's attempt at doing My Neighbor Totoro in a in a in a sense, in a sense, not literally, in in, in, a, in a sense as well, because Miyazaki did, was it little children didn't just turn into Totoros <laughs> in a way. But, um, <laughs> that would have been a weird. <laughs> that would have been a very strange. No, but it's that kind of whole you know narrative about kind of what i'm assuming is kind of you know about childhood and such like that yeah but it, it's, it's good to see at pixar sort of they're moving away from doing a lot of sequels because around about like this past decade they've done Thank loads God. of sequels loads of prequels and such but i think as well they said because after like i think said after toy story 4 you know they're probably going to focus more so we've already had you know we've had onward so now we're going to have luke and turning red after this so we're going to have more more original films which is which is a good thing to see yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so moving on I to like the that. next, so moving on to the next thing to uh, talk about, because we are now in officially 2021. So happy new year to everyone. Although it is January the 22nd, <laughs> um, we're going to talk a bit about what we're looking forward to in 2021. So, what what sort of films we're excited for? That what film what films that were previously scheduled for 2020 are now, which is pretty much the entire blockbuster list is pretty much have been sort of kind of hoisted from 2020 into 2021. So yeah, so. So I, I don't mind. What's up? What are we all looking forward to in 2021? Um, well, I, I, I might as well start. Uh, two films which have caught my attention. Obviously, the first one, get the generic one out of the way, The French Dispatch. So Wes Anderson's next film, and it looks very, very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very excited for that. And also, I don't know loads about this film, but it's making loads of rounds around a lot of kind of film festivals and circles. Uh, Minari. Mm, yeah, oh, but, yeah. I forgot that 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 does seem really interesting. I completely forgot about that. M- M- Minari, funny enough, is playing at the Glasgow Film Festival uh, this year, and you can you can get a ticket for it now, available online. So you can get a ticket for that for those. Uh, they're probably screens. all sold out. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're they're very. Oh. No, go, yeah. I, I I put yeah yeah. Do yeah. So the, so it's it's playing there in the premiere pretty much because they're, they're, they're sho- it's showing like a lot of days. But yeah, very well worth worth checking for checking out if you can. But yeah, I'm, I'm assuming that's online, is it? Yeah, it's online. Yeah, well, I, I, okay. I was, I, I would say, I, 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 did, I got a ticket for it because I was thinking, like, as much as cinemas, the cinemas not going to be around till about, like, I probably say about April, May, I'd say. So I don't, so I would, I can see, you know, Minari not being on the screen if, like, for a while. So like, this is probably the only chance you get to see it if you want to, you know, see it. Yeah, that's a good point. So, 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 yeah, but, um, but the other, but the other one, the French Dispatch. I mean. I mean, I, 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 have, I have to admit, as, as somebody who is not the biggest Wes Anderson fan, I mean, I, I've just, I've never been, I've never been sort of somebody interested. I know, I know a lot of people absolutely adore his films, but I don't know, okay. sort of French. I, I'm, I'm a bit nervous about it because I, I did really like his, his, his last film, Isle of Dogs. I really liked that film, but um, I found the French Dispatch trailer. It was felt like Grand Budapest Hotel, but with journalism. Because it's like big cast, a lot of big A A listers, you know, even like the lowest, uh, like lowest, you know, people build at the bottom are still like some big lead actors, set actresses. So you know, it, I don't know. I'm, I'm I am a bit nervous for it, but I can definitely see why people get excited for it. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I'm keeping my 
I'm keeping my expectations in check, as I do with almost every single piece of media. I'm, you know, which is why I don't really have many kind of, you know, too many hot takes in regards to kind of like upcoming films. Um, so, you know, mm. I'm I'm excited for it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm also considering, okay, maybe this could not be as amazing as it's seeming to be. Yeah, I'm I'm not a Wes Anderson fan at all, really. Um, I just I really just really haven't connected to. I've seen I've seen a good handful now. I haven't really connected to them, um, in the ways that people seem to be. Um, but I was quite excited by the trailer. I actually think it looks really interesting. Um, it it does, yeah. Good thing. I'm 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 looking forward to it. It'd be technically brilliant as always. Like you can film. never fault you can never fault the visuals or anything like that. Classic Wes. But uh, interest, I think French Dispatch is going to be playing at the Cannes Film Festival. Well, they've already said that it's going to be premiere there. So apparently it's going to move back to July. So that's probably when we'll, we will see the first reactions to French Dispatch. And I think it's slated till October. I don't really, I don't, I'm not really too sure because the, uh, the, the film calendar keeps changing every day in terms of where the films keep going. Some films get pushed forward, some films get pushed back. You know, so we don't. So we're not really sure where it's going to go. But yeah, it'll be inter- interesting to see. Any other uh, things we're looking forward to in 2021? Well, okay. Um, on the on the mainstream side, I've got to say, um, James Bond, Dune, Top Gun, Maverick, Mission Impossible Seven, uh, and Top Gun. <laughs> I am going to drop Godzilla vs Kong on the floor because sometimes I do just want to see an atomic dinosaur fight an enormous monkey. Um, so I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Um, but there are two other ones. Uh, so next month, there's one called News of the World that comes out on Netflix. It's uh, it's uh, a Western, and we haven't had a good one of those in a couple of years. Um, it is Tom Hanks, directed yeah, Tom Hanks, by Paul Greengrass, um, who oh, did the uh, oh, Captain oh, Phillips together. Oh yes, Born- oh, I love uh, I love the Born was it the Born trilogy? Yeah. Um, oh, God, I hate Paul Greengrass. Uh, uh, this looks like a really good sort of modern take on on the searches. Uh, and there's another film called Bios, which I don't know anything about. This, it also stars Tom Hanks, but it's um, directed by Miguel Sapochnik, who is perhaps my favourite oh. director to never have directed a film because he did Game of Thrones episodes like uh, Hard yeah. Home, uh, Battle of the Bastards, Winds of Winter, and uh, The Battle of Winterfell. So um, I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how he transfers uh, into, into filmmaking because I think he's got a really great visual eye. Uh, and uh, he's got a storyboard sort of backstory, so he's got a good good eye for the shot. Do that. I know Miguel Sapochnik's doing a new film. I am very much looking forward to that. Definitely. I'm uh, I'm really looking forward as well to which probably drop this in as Edgar Wright's new film, just to make myself look like a cliche film student. Um, <laughs> mainly, like I'm not like incredible Edgar Wright fan, but the plot synopsis or, or the pitch of it or whatever just sounds mental and i'm really excited to see how he's gonna handle a time travel murder mystery thing or you know whatever uh, which is cool and should also mention um don't look up which has had no trailers or whatever but it, it the cast is is crazy and it's directed by oh god his name his name escapes me but the the chap that made i oh, was adam mckay adam mckay yeah yeah um yeah and uh, yes, Leonardo DiCaprio again. Oh yeah, that's like a loads of names attached Meryl to it. So. Is it isn't yeah, I think so. Also, uh, Malcolm and Marie, I think, is coming out. I think next month. Yeah, which next is the John month, David Washington and Zendaya thing. It's from the guy who uh, created Euphoria, um, which it wasn't on my radar, but I saw the trailer and it looks really interesting. I think it's mm. these two people um, in their house for like an hour and a half working out their relationship, um, which sounds really great to me um i really like dialogue driven stuff like that so mm. i think that that could be a really interesting one to check out 
it's, it's, I think they shot that in lockdown as well. They filmed it during lockdown. So it looks, and it seems quite much a very sort of intimate uh, film as well. Shot in black and white. Yeah. It, looks, it looks stunning as well. So very much looking forward to that. Um, in terms of what um, Jacob, Jacob said, like, I, I'm looking forward to Dune and I'm also looking forward to, um, what's the other I'm, I'm looking forward to Bond as much as, much as, much as just, just when we were, just as just we went on air as well. It's now been delayed for the third time. <laughs> It's October, where funny enough, um, the last two Bond films, I think Spectre and Skyfall, were um, they were they, they, they all released released in October. They were so hopefully, for, hopefully, you know, fourth time lucky or third time lucky. <laughs> they should just <laughs> release say. it next year to time of the 60th anniversary of uh, Doctor No. Yeah, they they would. Because Skyfall yeah, that, was, uh, was the 50th anniversary. 50, yeah, it's 50th. Yeah. But that that would that would be great, definitely. But um, and also and also, I know this is I know people's cheap, but I am also looking forward to Top Gun because I have I've, I mean because I remember very young watching that with my stepdad and just you know it's just it's just it's just a, it's just a you know it's, it's just a fun film yeah. for what it is. Just that cockpit shot and the trailer just sold me when the, oh the yeah flew off the carrier. I was like, and I think Tom Cruise, yeah. is, I think Tom Cruise is flying the comp the cockpit as well. Oh, well, obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's Tom Cruise, you know, he, he does everything. He's going off to but, space in uh, October, isn't he? Yeah, he is. He's, he's going to do that film in space, isn't is Yeah, that's going to be nuts. But yeah. But yeah, in terms of some um, other films I'm looking forward to um, seeing, I'm looking, I mean, it's, it's, I haven't got loads, but it's sort of a couple. I think, like, like, like Jake said, I'm looking forward to doing, looking forward to Bond. Uh, I am, I'm, I'm also looking forward to uh, Shang-Chi, Legends of the Ten Rings. And not bec- and not because you know it's a it's a Marvel film. It's because the fact we're going to see Tony Leung as the Mandarin. How absolutely awesome is that going to be? I, I I mean you know somebody somebody who's a big fan of Tony Leung's film, uh, sort of work. You know, in the mood for love, Chunking Express, Happy Together, Twenty Forty Six, Infernal Affairs, which essentially means The Parted. It's just going to be really great to see probably one of the best actors uh, in world cinema on a, main, on, a on a mainstream film do, doing. Playing as a, a big baddie, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm also looking forward to uh, what well, I've already seen it, but I also another film I would sort of quickly say is uh, Nomad Land. I would say as well. So uh, the front is oh yeah, close out from which I which I saw at, I saw in London uh, in October, which is supposed to come out in March. Uh, I, I really liked it. Um, uh, Nomad Land. Um, Right. Yeah, but yeah, but essentially, um, because Chloe, Chloe's going to have a really busy year because she's going to be doing Nomadland, and then I think in November she is scheduled to do the uh, the Eternals, is supposed to be coming out in, which is the next Marvel film after Shang Chi. So, so she's going to have a very busy year. She is, but um, but yeah, but it's a very Nomadland is, is a very it's a very interesting film because it's not it's not the kind of Oscar bait that everyone is sort of kind of. The, the, the press kind of thinking is it's a very low-key film doesn't really have a story but the but i would say francis mcdormand's performance is astonishing and i generally think she's probably going to win best actress at the oscars uh in april so i will not be surprised if she wins it but it's because it's a brilliant brilliant performance but it's just this really great film about sort of this uh kind kind of this this person in their 60s sort of you know going off going on the road and just sort of seeing the nomads, it's kind of this very strange kind of documentary feel to it. We've seen, you know, kind of seeing all these all these um, nomads who've been, been on the road for many years. And we, we just sort of spend time in their company, spend time in their lives, see what's going on. And it's, and it's sort of the way, I think, sort of the, 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 free, the free will of the nomads very much plays into the style of the film. It's a very loose uh, film very loose structure but yeah i really I, I really liked it and i'm looking forward to seeing it again when it comes out in march 
and then and like he says well i'm i'm, I'm also very much looking forward to the um to, to Edgar Wright's new film, where, especially the fact that the cinematographer did is uh, been a long time yeah. collaborator with Park Chan Wook, who did the work for Old Boy, which I saw for the first time a couple mm-hmm. of years ago. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what those two do in a kind of horror film. Also, the cast looks amazing, like Matt Smith, Annie Taylor Joy. You know, it just looks yeah. really, really solid British cast, and it seems like a good sort of love letter. Hopefully, it's going to be to to um, to, the, to the nightlife of Soho. Yeah, uh, just quickly, I have two two other films I'm really looking forward to. Uh, so there's Paul Thomas Anderson's new film, Soggy Bottom, starring, oh, yes, uh, yes, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman's son, which is going to be very interesting. Is it actually called that? It's the filming title. They they, they filmed it under the name Soggy Bottom. I don't think the film is going to be uh, called Soggy Bottom. I, I, no, no. Jo- I saw that online. I thought it was a joke. No, no, no. In November, it was revealed the title was Soggy Bottom. Sounds like oh, a my God. bake-off film. <laughs> yeah, I swear it was the title for. I swear it's like the, the title. Anyway, but but yeah, but I, I don't. I agree. I'm looking very much looking forward to um, Portal Portal Samson for as much as I love Phantom Fred, definitely. And the other one, which you reminded me of, Theo, by mentioning Park Chan Wook, is actually Park Chan Wook's new film coming out this year. I think it's called Decision to Leave. Um, so yeah, be very exciting. Yeah, I think it's his first. No, I think I think it's another South Korean film. I don't, I don't know if it's. English or not, but yeah, I think it's going to be one of the first ones. And lastly, one more film, because I'll say as well, before we sort of list the entire year of 2020, uh, I'm, very <laughs> much, I'm, also, I'm very much looking forward to, um, apparently Celine Sciamma's new film is going to come out uh, this year, which is, I think it's, at the mo- I think from what the last press thing I read, it's production, post-production is happening on it. So it's, it, I'm very much looking forward, forward to that because I've seen all her films and I think she's one of the most important filmmakers in, in the world right now with Portrait Age on Fire and Girlhood. You know, so I'm very excited to see what she does. So moving on to our last bit we're talking about is a couple of recommendations and a couple of things that have just come out as well recently. Just, just a couple of quick bite-sized things before we wrap up. So, uh, so yeah. I think I think we were, I think we going to start because Harry we talked about we were um, so yeah yeah someone someone can go first if we want to see anything they want to recommend anything they want to sort of view so yeah yeah we should probably talk about um, WandaVision. Uh, yes. the day we're recording this the third episode just came out uh, this morning on Disney Plus I think we're all up to date apart from Jacob who I don't think is watching it no you're not watching it okay. no you're missing out mate I will, I will, <laughs> I, will I will at some point I just. Um other priorities yeah I, I didn't think i was going to watch it to be fair um but i saw yeah. that it was coming out weekly and that the episodes were like 25 ish minutes so i thought oh yeah go on then I, I like i like having something to look forward to at the end of the week so why not right yeah yeah definitely i mean i i find i think it's a really interesting show for what they're yeah. doing definitely like i mean i mean as, as somebody who as somebody who sort of you know as like it's not i mean i i'm 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 in the marvel i feel like the marvel cinematic cinematic universe is like a subscription service it's like once you've kind of subscribed and you're in it you kind of just sort of you've got to just sort of go along with what they do so you know but yeah one division is fascinating it is interesting i obviously if whoever's listening to this um doesn't isn't really aware of it it's basically parodying a bunch of different sitcoms so this third episode now has just gone into sort of 80s um but it's the 70s I parodied, think, isn't it 70s sorry my bad no um, but previously they've, they've done sort of 50s and 60s and they're riffing on a lot of those um things and it's sort of teased that uh wanders scarlet witch is kind of trapped in uh some kind of hallucination or or something and it, you know it's not real 
Or is she, or she maybe getting over the fact that Vision died at the end of yeah. It, spoiler alert! If you haven't seen Infinity War, but you know, sorry, but it's very Truman Show esque. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 but I think, I think what I thought was interesting as well, and I think this is the thing I found that I, I sort of really liked about Wonder Vision is the fact that although you've got, it's very much like Truman Show. It's also very similar to Watchmen. If you remember that last year, with so, there's some of the elements in it. But I think it's for for like for like a big for something like Disney, who are sort of you know everyone we all think you know sort of you know they do stuff. It's I think the superhero genre, after sort of Endgame and everything, they need to. I found this a lot. Marvel, in order to be like sort of keep keep up, you know, keep people engaged, keep people interested, they got it's they need to start experimenting with the form a lot. And I think One Division is the way of how they're doing this. And I think it's a very smart move to put it first because they were going to put Falcon and Winter Soldier first. But I I have to admit, when I saw the trailer for Falcon and Winter Soldier, I was not looking forward to that because it's just like mm-hmm. it's just going to be another MCU. Very generic, and I yeah. want to see something that's actually, yeah, only something that's actually interesting. And WandaVision is that thing that is interesting, you know. So yeah, that is true. That is true. And I, I think as well that it's quite clear that that's what they're doing because uh, it, it was frustrating me a little bit, especially in the first two episodes, um, how obvious it was that not everything was real. And I know that they're appealing to um, quite a wide demographic. Um, but every episode, it's like the midpoint, something small goes wrong, and at the end, there's a big reveal, and then they sort of reset, and that's sort of the joke. Um, but like seeing the the big Marvel logo at the star that isn't in the style of the sitcoms and the credits, which are uh, stylistically completely detached, it did take me out of it. I wish they would just commit to the sort of to the bit hmm. a little bit more and commit to the style. That that sort of frustrated me um, a little bit. But yeah. I, I do understand. I do understand why. Yeah, there were loads of like limits and kind of the the way they filmed certain bits. Like I think they capture a lot of details correctly, but then there's you know so many other little details they could have so simply done. You know, by editing the audio to make it sound kind of fitting to kind of like a a fifties kind of sitcom or they do that quite well though. I found well, no, because they like the dialogue sounds like it would normally sound in like a modern day film, whereas like you know back then kind of television, you know audio would kind of be very crackly and they you know they, they kind of they don't they don't really do that and um from what i've seen of 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 the show so far it doesn't look like they've been shooting kind of old cameras which again would add even more authenticity to the kind of replicating the older styles i think even when they're shooting kind of you know uh the scenes that are like supposed to be set in the 50s i think they're using digital cameras and i think they're like adding on like digital grain afterwards and it just it doesn't yeah. look as authentic as it could be yeah to, to add to that point callum as well like that you were talking about the cameras and stuff i've I read that they're um this is reportedly but spending 25 million per episode it's like i don't know what on if you have that amount of money for your episode that's that's an insane game with the made shape within all of the shape of water for less than that like mm. you can afford to splash that's out and make Game it look a bit more authentic yeah, no, no. Game of Thrones about by 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 the the end of the last season about like ten. It's like something like up about fifty million or something. I mean, like, the long night was twenty five million. So and that was an enormous it? scale. Oh, right. But One Division one at yeah. twenty five minutes is quite impressive. Yeah, and One Division's like just in a house basically in a in a little town. Maybe Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen have got amazing agents. Mm. I think yeah. actually their episode though, Harry. Yeah, per episode it's like two hundred million for the whole series. Damn. This is not confirmed. I should say that, but that's 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 what's reported. Have, yeah. have a look. Disagree with you guys. I've got to disagree with guys in this because I I generally find actually like if you read what they if you read some of the stuff like some of the stuff they do behind the scenes of it, it's really interesting what they've done. Like they 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 
especially I think the first episode they shot it with a live audience, so they actually had a live audience do it. They they shot it live, that, wow. filmed it live, did it all, did the whole thing live, which I think actually actually does actually pay dividends to the sitcom. Although yeah, it's not it doesn't do the digital cameras, it doesn't do you know sort of the grain, but that would be that would be sick. That would be awesome. But at the end of the day, I mean like it has it, it does have just cater towards Marvel fans, it, it, rather than sort of you know leaning so heavily into it because if it leans so heavily into it i think it will alienate a lot of fans and especially mm. the fact you know it is wonder it is wonder and vision you know two cats people like you know we it's they they it will be a bit tough if suddenly you know it goes full sitcom-esque and I, and I actually to be fair, i actually as much as harry says i actually really like how it's carefully kind of teasing it out although i do admit the fact is, because I thought this was going to be six episodes, it actually is nine episodes, which has got me, it's got me a bit of alarm bells ringing because oh, I think, because I, I, I would, it yeah, that, it's not, it's nine. The one of the things is, oh, I think man. watching watching One Division at times is like watching a magic trick and somebody saying, you know, is this your card? And then like slowly revealing the card, like really slowly, if you get what I mean. You know, it's it's just it, the hand, the hand is being played very, very carefully. And I do like that intrigue. But I do, and I like the fact you know it's it is showing that something is more, which I think is which I'm really looking forward to finding out what it is going to be more. But you know, I do hope it doesn't like keep on slowly feeding it out. By by some point, it has to sort of go right. This is what's actually happened, and yeah, we're going to make you know a proper show. So you know, so yeah, I, I, I um, sort of sort of like disagree a bit, I, uh, a little bit. I, I just I don't know that it is doing that as slowly as as I would like want it to. Like it's it's just very clear. <laughs> Um, multiple times in the first episode that it's it's not real. I don't, I don't know. I know that's fine, obviously, but I think they could have mm. maybe been a bit more subtle about it. But again, I don't begrudge the show for doing that because yeah. it's not what the audience wants at all, really. Mm. Um, we and can, I, and we I do, do like now with... Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, when it's all done, yeah, to be fair. Um, but I do, do like now that we're at the end of the third episode, they're kind of teasing um, the different styles. Like it's, you know, it's now it's in color and at the end of this episode, it's just gone into widescreen and stuff. So they're, they're kind of like developing through the eras of, of mm. whatever they're parodying, which is quite yeah. interesting. And I am genuinely compelled to see what's going on, um, not least after Endgame. Um, it's going to be quite interesting. Like I'm, I'm a little bit checked out of Marvel, but um, I, I well, am it's been, it's been at, least, at least intrigued by this. It's been nearly two years since we saw Marvel films. I think people are checked out, but I think this is the right this is the right way to do it. Like I think if they did Falcon first, like I said, did Falcon first, I don't think we'll be on board as much. I think putting One Division first mm. shows shows right. This is a new era. We're going to do something different, and we're going to keep and and this is how you're going to keep fans engaged is is changing up the style, changing up the, yeah, the genre, yeah. change up genres. So yeah, it is the most creatively risky thing Marvel have done. Yeah, it is definitely. Imagine pensioning this. I wouldn't agree with that. But that's a whole other topic. What I was going to say uh, in terms of the show uh, regarding kind of the discussion you two just had is that um, a lot of the reception I've seen in kind of like, you know, fan circles has kind of been focused all around about, oh, what's happening? What's happening? And that is a compelling and intriguing element. But at the same time, I'm just finding like the way they do the sitcom and the, the, the way they just, you know, kind of embrace the style yeah. aside from those moments where they kind of break that you know i still find that highly entertaining mm, and, you know, i think they really handle it well as well so so for me it's both you know i'm compelled to see what's happening but also i am highly entertained mm. as is definitely and also considering the fact that with 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 the fact that because a lot of these are playing into the american sitcoms and though you know like i'm really honest i've not really seen many american sitcoms to be frank so you know that's definitely sort of an area which i've sort of bit thing but even though like 
I'm still really enjoying how they're playing into the styles. Like, especially like this this recent seventies episode, the opening of the seventies episode is something that is reminds of something like Full House. It does just sort of like the gleeful it was opening. So funny, that title sequence. I, I did find that really amusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I'm really yeah yeah. Hopefully, we'll probably do we'll probably do another podcast when the rest of it comes out because I think there's definitely more to it. But that that will be a long time because it <laughs> it is nine episodes. So it will be interesting to see how they tease it out over the next coming weeks. Um, in terms of other recommendations, what people recommend, what people have seen, what do they want to recommend watching? Uh, I guess very quickly, David Attenborough's A Perfect Planet on BBC at the moment is just blowing my mind each week. Mm. Um, if you want a bit of natural escapism, again, it's just <laughs> perfectly photographed, as you would expect. Um, yeah, and Mandalorian Season 2, if you uh, are like Harry and have failed to update yourself on that. <laughs> I'm getting there. Yes. Oh man. See, I say it's Mandalorian season two was just way better than season one. Just way better. I thought. I thought, and especially the finale is just the finale is just so perfect. It is just how it ends it. But yeah, it's good. <laughs> I have. I have no Don't hot take on it. Basically. It's good. But yeah. But yeah. I I did enjoy Mandalorian. Did enjoy it a lot. Um, so yes, I, I want to recommend um, two two things. So I want to recommend a, a trilogy of films first, um, which because over, over two nights recently I rewatched um, Richard Linklater. No, not rewatched. I watched for the first time uh, Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy, which consists of Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight. And I genuinely love these films to pieces. Like every one of them, I just totally adore them. And it's getting it is getting to that point now where Before Sunrise. It's it's nearly it's probably cemented into my one of my favorite films of all time now. So it's it gets it's got to that point where if I see anybody sort of critiquing it, I'm just like I don't want to hear you anymore. <laughs> but um, but yes, but um, but I'll just I'll explain quickly. Um, the films basically consist of um, Ethan Hawke who plays um Jesse, who's kind of this American sort of student at start, and um, Julie Delpy plays Celine. And in the first film, they both these two kind of you know different sort of characters, different personality and traits. They meet on a train in Vienna and um, all of a sudden, and basically they sort of, they sort of then form a bond, form sort of a, a spark, have a link together. And basically over the course of the next three films, we witness the relationship slowly blossom. We witness um, Richard Linte sort of exploring the evocation of love itself and also talking about how is everlasting love possible? And if so, you know, how do you do it? And, I, I found them just very very emotional. I thought they were so so sweet. They're not they're not like the, 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 the thing is the posters look incredibly sort of like very cheesy, but they're not those kind of films. And I just yeah I I, I love them. I can't recommend them enough. Just yeah, just all three of them are just generally masterpieces. I would generally say. <laughs> and then the second film I, I want to recommend, which I watched last night, which was Patty Jenkins' Monster, which was her which is the film because. I also watched Wonder Woman 1984, and I don't want to go into that because um, that's another podcast entirely for its uh, terribleness. But um, essentially, um, yeah, but um, I want to recommend Monster, and essentially, um, Monster is about uh, it stars Charlie Theron, brilliant performance, who plays as the real is I think she plays like the real life account of uh, the first kind of female notorious female serial killer in um in america and it's kind of this very muscular rogue movie very similar to stuff something like Catherine bigelow and it also has got sort of um filmic tensions to stuff like film louise and bonnie and clyde and yeah i thought it was really really good like very gripping film and especially i knew nothing about the subject matter as well so two films to recommend to you 
I'd also recommend um, just because it's good lockdown viewing. Um, this will go up while we're still in lockdown, obviously here in the here in the UK. Um, I just watched the first episode of the, of the first series actually of Staged with um, David Tennant and oh, um, yeah. Michael Sheen, and it's perfect like comfort food. Like it was really amusing, really charming. Um, they're both really funny. Um, so if you need something just to take the edge off whatever before you go to bed, then that's a quite quite funny um, quite funny series really. Yeah, I started watching that, and I've I saw I probably, I think I watched the first episode, and I yeah I said I really enjoyed it. I need to watch more of it because there's, there's I think they just put out season two just recently. Yeah, they just did. So, yeah. So yeah, and right. um, so yeah, so Callum, last but not least, do you have anything else you want to recommend? Um, does it have to be recent? No, or... no, I, no. I, I recommend okay. the Four trilogy, which came out in 1995. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I will check that out because that really does intrigue me, and I've heard uh, loads of great things about it. I've seen uh, Dark Waters that came out in 2019. Um, very, Arthur very Haynes good film. film. Sorry, Todd Haynes' new film, right? Yes, yes. Um, it's on Amazon Prime right now uh, for free. Uh, really, really good. Um, I've also seen Seven, which I would highly recommend. Uh, obviously, I these thoughts are kind of incoherent and not as well thought out because it's kind of on the spot kind of thing. Um, but those are kind of two of the most recent things I guess I could recommend. Awesome! Sounds like sounds like really good um, recommendations, you guys. I said I'll, I'll, I'll that's that's got enough for the next few weeks for for the start of semester. We say. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so my thanks goes so my thanks goes to uh, Harry G, Jacob Hando, and Cam Nels for joining me. And yeah, thank you much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Thank you. Ciao. Mahalo. <laughs> <laughs>